Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I want to talk to you about how to approach life. I want to talk to you about how to approach God. In fact, I believe that Jesus gives us some principles in this sermon and in this section that, if applied, could radically change your approach to living. How many people today would say, I do, I want to live a better life. I want to find a better way. I want to see a better path. This is who Jesus is speaking to. And in his brilliance, he simplifies it down to a couple steps that I believe if you follow these principles that Jesus gives us here in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, and you apply them to your life, I believe that they can unlock opportunity. I believe that they can create progress. And I believe that they will help you draw upon God as you move forward in life. These are three principles that could radically change your life. And Jesus puts them in three words. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. You notice he is escalating your expectations. He's escalating on the way that you've got to approach. He doesn't, he doesn't go less, he goes more. He's looking for you to, come on, ask. He's looking for you to seek. He's looking for you to knock. Remember, there was a time a preacher came here. I don't know if you remember Apostle C, uh, but he's an older preacher. I, I think like, like 99 years old. And uh, I, I was a young man, and he said, hey, I'm going to preach on when Jesus knocks. And he said, and we worked out a cue, and he's like, I want you to, uh, I want you to knock. So I was up in the, the nest, we call it back there, and I, I was waiting for the cue where I had a, a mic, and I was getting ready to knock. But I couldn't figure out, because he's kind of wily, you know, I couldn't figure out what the cue was. So he finally said, and so Jesus knocks. And I was too nervous, you know, I was a kid. And he's like, and so Jesus knocks. So finally, oh, so I start knocking. And I knocked, you know, an appropriate amount of time. And then he starts saying, like, who is that? And, he, and I got scared. <laughs> you know? And so I stopped knocking. And he's like, no, Jesus doesn't stop knocking. So the whole sermon became, like, me and him. <laughs> Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. He's escalating your expectations. He's moving your approach into more and more greater actions. And, and, and he's teaching us how to approach two things, both God and life. This sermon works on two levels. You might have to listen to it twice. Because every principle here works for God and it works for life. It works in the heavens and it works on earth. It, it, it works for your heavenly father and your CEO. This works on both levels. Why? Because these are eternal principles on how to live. And Jesus gives us these principles. Ask, seek, knock, push forward. But see, I think the problem is many times people don't press. We don't push. We don't move. We lose our passion. Maybe it's just a spirit of laziness has kind of come upon us or... Or maybe our, our will has lapsed because we haven't exercised it enough and it's grown weaker. Or, or maybe we don't have self-confidence. And so because of that, we, we, we lean back, we stay away, we, we do little, we, 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 uh, we don't press, we don't, we don't push. The problem is I think many times we give up too easily. 
And we miss the success that's right on the other side. It's right on the other side. We won't round the corner. We, we, we give up in the darkest part of the night not knowing that the sun is rising right over the hill. And that if you would just push a little bit more, there's a famous uh, moment in World War II in the invasion of Singapore where the British uh, were, were fighting the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the empire of, of Japan and, and they were fighting over Singapore and the British had uh, plenty of people, plenty of munitions, plenty of, of food, uh, ability to defend the island. And the, 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 the uh, I keep wanting to say Germans, were there other people in World War III? Two. Whoa. <laughs> that was not prophetic. <laughs> This is what happens when you don't think, when you're just coming up with your illustrations on the spot, reaching back into history. Pastor David, teach me, help me with history. It's a history teacher. The Japanese were coming in, the British were defending, and the, the British didn't know that if they would have just held out three more days, they would have run out of munitions, they would have run out of manpower, they would have run out of ammo, they would have run out of food. And so they surrendered, even though if they would have fought just a little bit longer, they could have defended the island. I wonder how many times we give up because we think the 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 story is written, and, and the end is already finalized, and we can't do it. I wonder how many times we, we, we miss because we don't press. If you think about the characters in the Bible, what they would have missed if they didn't press. The woman with the issue of blood, if she didn't press through the crowd, what would have happened? Would she have ever touched the hem of his garment? If she got there and just said, it's too chaotic, and the law says I shouldn't be here anyways, and there's too many people, and everyone's going to know I've got an issue, so I'm not going to press. I'll wait for another moment. Would she ever have gotten that moment? Or if you think about Bartimaeus, who's shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, and the crowd says, shh, be silent. What if he listened? And what if he got ashamed and got nervous and, and quieted down? Would he have ever gained his sight? Or Zacchaeus, who runs ahead and climbs a tree, willing to look foolish as long as he can see Jesus. If he didn't run and if he didn't climb, would Jesus have ever gone to his home? Would he ever have received salvation? What would have happened to these people if they didn't press? And what will happen to you and me if we don't press? I found that the people who don't take no for an answer uh, usually don't end up hearing it that often. There's something about persistence. There's something about resilience. There's something about persevering and pioneering. And I believe Jesus gives us these principles, these three principles that we can apply to our life and unlock opportunity and progress and draw near to God and draw God near to us. And Jesus starts with this simple word, ask. He says, ask and it will be given to you. What is this? But the principle of petition, the principle of petition, petition means to ask. It means to pray. It means to approach. This is a supernatural and eternal principle. And the truth is the simple act of asking can create chances for new possibilities. Steve Jobs tells of a story that when he was 12 years old, he was building a little radio. And so he went in the phone book and found... Um, Bill Hewlett, the CEO of Hewlett-Packard, the biggest computer uh, organization in that industry at that time, and he calls him up at home. And Bill picks up, and 12-year-old Steve Jobs asks him to send him spare parts. And the man said, okay, sent him these parts. But more than that, he offered him a summer job. 
This is back when 12-year-olds could have summer jobs. And so Steve, Steve Jobs went and worked at HP, and, and he learned the very basics, fundamentals of computers and programming and how to manage a company and innovation from a young age. And, and he, he, he says this in relaying the story. He says, I've never found someone who didn't want to help me if I asked. B.C. Forbes, the founder of Forbes magazine, says there is no such thing as a self-made man. I've had much help and have found that if you are willing to work, many people are willing to help you. But you've got to ask. James 4, uh, verse 2, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. There is a principle of approaching. There is a principle of petitioning. This is a principle of asking. And if I could make it very simple, God wants you to ask. Sometimes people say, why should I pray? God already knows because it's important that you engage. You engage your mind, you engage your body, and you engage your spirit, and you ask. God is looking for that sort of approach in us. And hear me, it works on two levels. It works with God and it works with man. You've got to ask. You've got to petition. You've got to seek. You've got to press. God wants you to ask. My sons right now, they got no problem with asking. It's Christmas time and they got one of those magazines. I don't even know where they got it from. No, and they're going through and they're circling all the toys that they want. And I try and tell them, you can't circle every toy. You're maxed. You're going to get one, one and a half of those circles. You have to share it. There's two of you, you know. And, and my, my, my son says, no, dad, you don't understand. You don't get it. You know, kids always talk to you like you're behind. Like. And he's like, I want this toy for this reason. I want this toy as if different reasons equal more circles. Just makes it allowable. Why can he ask? Because he knows how his father responds. His expectation rests on my character. He knows that when he asks, I will give proportionally and in a healthy way. But he knows I'm going to give. God says this. He says, you need to, you need to understand, you fathers who are evil, evil. You know how to give good gifts, how much for your, more your heavenly father. Now, what God is saying is in relation to him, you're evil. You might say, like, I'm not evil. I'm, doing, I'm not the best, but I'm doing all right. In relation to God, there is no one righteous and there is no one good. And Jesus is trying to prove this point. He says, you fathers, even though you are lost, even though you are nowhere near the heavenly father, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. You would never trick them. They ask for bread and you hand them a round stone and laugh. You would never do that, you know? And he says, but how much more? If that's true, if that little principle is true, how much more will your heavenly father, come on, give good gifts to those who ask? He is willing. He is waiting. But you're going to have to circle some things in prayer. You're going to have to bring it before the Lord. And for you, it's not a magazine. For you, it's his word. And say, Lord, look at what your word says here. This is my petition. And when you go before the Lord, he loves it. And he will answer with his goodness, with his mercy, with his grace. How much more will your heavenly father give to those who ask, but here's the secret. You've got to ask. 
And then beyond that, Jesus says, I want you to seek as well. Do you see he's elevating you? He's bringing you to a higher level right now. When you're done asking, he says, begin to seek. And here's the promise. Seek and you will find. What's he speaking about? He's speaking about the principle of pursuit. I think many times we don't ask and many times we don't seek, honestly, because of fear. One of the reasons that we don't ask and seek is because we're afraid of being rejected. Isn't this true? There's a, a survey from the University of New South Wales that came out with the reasons people fear being rejected. And there's so many, some that go to childhood and you know, some that have to do with our social context. But they said the, the most basic one is that we have hardwired in our brains to avoid rejection because if we were cast out in the community, cast out from the community, it really meant death early on in the existence of the world. If you were cast out, you, you were on your own, it meant death. So Deep in our brains, we know that if I'm rejected, it equals death. But Jesus comes to set you free from all of that. Jesus comes to set you free from that fear of death, that fear of isolation, that fear of rejection. In fact, he's looking for us to be bold, men and women of God. He says, don't be ashamed of me or else I'll be ashamed of you. What is he saying? He said, I'm looking for people to have boldness and courage to come after God, to not be afraid to ask. Yeah, I think another reason we don't ask Another reason we don't seek is that many times in order to ask and seek, we have to admit a need and we don't want to admit a need. Come on. We want to be self-made, self-sufficient. I'm good. I got it going on. I'm a business person. <laughs> don't worry. I'll take care of you. In order to ask, you have to admit, I need help. I need some guidance. I need a mentor. I, I, I need some direction in my life. And, and that means that you can't come with the mentality that I'm all good. You can't have that mentality, which, by the way, is a protective shell of pride anyways. I see it a lot of times on young men. I'm all good. Are you? I know you. You're not all good. <laughs> you're, you're almost all bad. I'm all good. When you approach God that way, God says, well, then you're all good. When you approach people that way, they say you're all good. See, when you ask, when you seek, you have to be open to finding. You have to be open to learning. You have to be open to changing. The Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart. I pray you and I aren't like that. Because God could literally send you Moses. But if you're not open you won't receive the message. Be careful not to harden your heart. Think everyone else is wrong, but I'm right. Everyone else doesn't know, but I know. No, this is a poor way to approach life. And it's certainly a poor way to approach God. You gotta be open. Admit your poverty in areas and ask God to come and bring his blessing. Come in with an act of humility. That's why many times when we pray, we get on our knees. It's a physical bodily position of humility. Lord, you're greater, I'm less. Lord, you are more, and I'm in need. So I come, and, and I come, and I'm asking you. Remember, Jesus talked about the two different people that were praying. One was a sinner, and he wouldn't even look up, and he beat his chest, and he said, Lord, I need you. I need grace. I need forgiveness. The other stood before the Lord and said, Lord, look how good I am. Look at all the deeds I've done. Lord, receive my prayer. God says, which one was holy?
It's the one that said, God, I am, I am in need, and I need you. A couple weeks ago, at the end of service, we had a moment where we surrendered, where we all got on our knees, and, and we surrendered things to the Lord. And I've heard from many of you that that moment was like a breaking point in your life. Why? Because something supernatural happens when you say, God, I don't have it all together. I need to surrender, and I need you to intervene in this area of my life. I want to set you free today. When it comes to God, and even when it comes to people, admitting a need is the first step towards progress. I think another reason that we don't often ask and we don't often seek is that many times we're afraid. Um, we're, we're afraid of the, um, well, let me put it this way. We're afraid of owing someone something. Like if you receive, you have to reciprocate. You know, and a lot of times we, we don't want to owe. We know people keep receipts. And so we're not going to ask. You know, we're not going to get involved in any of that. And, and we isolate ourselves, stay out of the community, you know. We're, we're nervous about, you know, kind of owing, you know, like, 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 like in The Godfather, you know. Like, one day I'm going to ask a favor of you, you know, and that day may never come. But if it does, be prepared. And we're like, no, we're good. But can I tell you, it's something, it's healthy to live in a reciprocal relationship. It's healthy to be a part of a community that if you have a need and I can help, I help. And if I have a need and you can help, please help. This is, a, look, this is the co part of community. You can't be in a community without the co. Co means with. Co means together. Co means I'm on your side. Co means we're, we'll, we'll go through it, but not alone. Come on, I'll work. I'll, I'll, I'll join myself with you and you with me. Because truthfully, in the church of God, we are in this thing together. We're headed, we're headed in the same direction. Same destination. I pray that's you. But you gotta, you got to have to overcome that thing where you say, no, I'm, I'm a lone wolf, baby. Lone rider. No, that's not you. Come on, that's not, that's not the real you. The real you is that you and I were in this thing together. This is the beauty of the church. The Bible says they all held everything together in common. I pray that's true of our church. Can you say amen? amen. God elevates it from asking to seeking. And, and this is seeking is the principle of pursuit. You move from the principle of petition to the principle of pursuit. You move from the, the position of asking for to moving towards the principle of pursuit. Anything worth having must be sought after, including God. Anything worth having must be sought after, must be searched for, must be run for. And I, I read uh, of, a, of a man at 101 years old. He's the oldest man to ever finish a marathon. He finished the London Marathon in seven hours. And, and they asked him, how could you possibly do this? And he says, anything in life worth doing will be difficult. It's true. Anything worth having, you're going to have to fight for it. Move towards it. Seek after it. And Jesus, he's so brilliant. He's giving us this principle. Hey, you're going to have to ask and you're going to have to press. Seek, look, search, investigate. Have you ever played the game hide and seek? Of course you have. Of course you have. That, I don't even need to ask the question. Have you ever played the game kick the can? Oh, some of you. First service, it was none of you. My dad taught us this game when we were younger. 
It's like a variation of hide and seek from like the 1920s, the Depression era. And I'm like, where'd you learn, for, where'd you learn this game? And uh, it's kind of a mixture of capture the flag and tag and hide and seek. And so uh, what, what you do is you get a can. All it takes is a can, can and a bunch of kids, and you got a game. And you, you put the can you know, kind of in the middle of a field or a circle or an area, and then everyone goes and hides, and then, uh, then what they have to do is they have to run out, kick the can before you can find them, and tag them out. So it's kind of this, this interesting thing. We used to play this in the 90s, you know, when kids went outside, <laughs> where there's, they saw trees and grass, you know, they touched real things, they knew people, like for real, like actual people, not like chatbots, you know, the 90s. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we would play this game. Actually, my dad told me in between services that the way they used to play this game is that instead of tagging someone, they shot someone with an air rifle. <laughs> the 60s were wild, man. Can you imagine if you looked outside and your kids are shooting each other with air rifles? There'd be like a million mom march in Washington, D.C. if that, like national news. Everyone would be like, what is happening to this country? It was awesome, man. The 90s were great, but the 60s were wild. <laughs> you know, God had to play hide-and-seek once with, uh, with man. After the fall in the garden, the Bible says, Adam and Eve were ashamed and they were afraid, so they hid themselves from the Lord. And the Lord came seeking after them. He says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And he comes and he finds. When he finds him, he says, where were you? We've we've lost relationship. We used to walk together. And what did Adam say? He says, I was afraid, so I hid. Fear always wants to isolate you, pull you back, keep you down. But, you know, that wasn't the proper way for God and man to interact. God should have never been the one seeking man. It should have been man seeking God. And when Jesus comes, he comes to reverse and restore right relationship. And he comes and he says, listen, you need to ask and you need to seek. See, when sin entered, it reversed things. Now God had to come for man. But when Jesus came, he set things right. And he says, now from now on, you need to run after God. You need to search for God. You need to seek God. He comes to restore the right approach because God is all good and God is all knowing and God is all worthy. He is first and he is foremost and he is above and we are not. So it shouldn't be him coming to us. It should be us coming after him, trying to know him, follow him. Come on, love him. It should have been Adam to God. And now when Jesus comes, he restores that. And what does he say? He says this, you pursue, you investigate. Come on, you search, you look. He puts the responsibility back on us. You pursue. And again, this is true with God, but it's also true with life. If you want a spouse, you pursue. And that doesn't mean swiping. It means actual talking. I have to go on a couple dates and say, definitely not, let me pursue somewhere else. You pursue. You want an opportunity? You're going to have to pursue. You want a promotion? You're going to have to pursue. You're going to have to work at this thing. Come on, this is a principle, and even though you're not amening, I'm still going to preach it. You want meaning in life? 
If you want to discover your purpose, you're going to have to pursue. You want to grow in depth? There's some books you're going to have to read. There's some people you're going to have to get to know. There's some places you're going to have to pursue. If you want healing, you're going to have to pursue. You're going to have to fast. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to come to the... There's some things that you're going to have to do. The principle of pursuit. And if you want God, you have to pursue. You have to seek. You have to ask. You have to search. You have to look. This is an eternal truth that God's letting us in on. See, really, like Adam, we want God to pursue us. And even more, we want God to pursue for us. God, you pursue our dreams. I'll be here. God, you bring my desires. I'll be here. God, you find a spouse. I'll be here. Still here. No. That's not how it works. I wonder where, where we started to think it was good theology to have God do everything for us. Where do we get that idea? Why do we allow it? Is it true or is it backwards? Proverbs 25 verse 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but it's the glory of kings to search things out. You were designed to search things out. You are a king. You are a queen. You are set before God in the highest level. And God says, I made you to pursue. I made you to accomplish. Sometimes people feel like they can't get any traction in life or they feel like, you know, I, I, I feel bad every day. Watch what would happen if you accomplish little things. You were designed to accomplish and momentum comes from accomplishing. And God is trying to teach us this level like you can't just wait and hope things happen. You can't live in a, a sunken haze of self-medication and think things will change. You can't sit in a den of pleasure and think there will be progress. God's saying, you got to pursue. And God has some hidden things, and he doesn't hide them from you. He hides them for you. He's got some things, but he's saying, I want you to ask. Come on, I want you to seek. I want you to come after me, and I'll show you the way. I'll give you the ability to solve some things. Do you know Einstein solved things not through writing, but he would sit, because he was a postal clerk, he would sit in his little office, and he would daydream. And he would begin to do these equations in his head, and he would begin to imagine, and he, he solved incredible things, by the way, that were already there. He didn't, dis- he, didn't, he didn't create them, he discovered them. They were already there, but he had to position himself and begin to pursue you might say, well, I'm not Einstein. Yeah, but you've got a brain and you've got ability and you've got a God and you're a king and God wants to awaken leadership within you. And make no mistake, if you begin to fast or you begin to pray or when you seek godly counsel and wisdom and you come to the altar and you're at church, you will begin to solve things, discover things. Ideas will come to you. Innovations will come to you. Solutions will come to you. God will speak to you. You say, I don't know how to deal with my boss. God does. I don't know how to change my spouse. God does. I don't know what to do with my kids. God does. And he has the matter to himself and he says, seek. Pursue. And I'll show you what I've reserved for you. But he wants to activate the leadership within you. 
If I told you today that there was a, a treasure chest, Revolutionary War era Trevor, tre treasure chest hidden on this land, Colonial Army came through with Washington and somewhere on this land they buried treasure. And if I told you that if you could find it, you could have it. It would be yours, free and clear. I wonder how you would search. I wonder if you, as you're headed back to your car, especially those of you that had to park on the grass, wouldn't really start looking. I don't think you'd walk through the lobby like, you know, no big deal. Nope, let's go home. I think you'd be out there with one of those things. Beep, 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 beep. Dig it up. It's a nail. Beep. Get a little shovel. I think you'd be into it. By the way, this is how legends start. So I know 40 years from now, people are like, I, the pastor said there was revolutionary war treasure. I'm just, it's just a metaphor. In fact, Jesus used the, this metaphor as well. He told a parable about a man that found treasure in a field. And when he found this treasure, Jesus says, he sold everything he had, gathered all the money together and bought that field because he had to have that treasure. And what Jesus is speaking about really is when you begin to discover God, when you begin to discover truth, it radically alters your entire life. It's worth eternal and complete pursuit. When you really discover the treasure of truth, make no mistake, it's worth everything. You'll give up anything that would keep you from this treasure. And, and I wonder today if you're willing to sell it all to find what your soul is searching for. Speaking specifically about the Lord and about his truth. Because I think a lot of times people will say, well, I don't want the field. I just want the treasure. I don't want to sell, but give me, my, give, me, give, me a, give me a piece. I don't want to give my all. I don't want to take care of the field. I don't want to till it. I don't want to harvest it. I don't want to work. I don't want to serve. I don't want to commit. I want to keep what I got. But let me add the treasure to my already stellar life. God says it doesn't work that way. If you're going to find truth, if you're going to find me, it might cost you everything else, but I'm worthy. I'm worthy. And in this church, make no mistake, we make no bones about it. We are an all-in church. We are a people of commitment. He wants you and me, he wants us to be all in. All in for the gospel. All in on his word. And that's who we are. That's who we are. You might be here and you might say, this church feels a little different than some other churches I've gone to. I can tell you why. It's because most of the people you're sitting next to have discovered a treasure and sold everything. Or let me put it this way, have sold out, have, have put anything and everything up on the auction block as long as they could have this treasure. We are committed to the word of God. We are committed to his law. We are committed to his way. We are committed to the future. Make no mistake, this is the only thing that we're pursuing with our everything. In Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Come on, church, say all. all. Ask, seek, and knock. Knock, and it will be open to you. The third principle that you need to integrate into your life is the principle of persistence. Think about what the act of knocking infers. Think about what the act of knocking infers contains within it. It infers that 
When you knock, there's an obstacle. It infers that when you knock, there's an opportunity. It infers that when you knock, on the other side, there's an opener. There's an obstacle, there's an opportunity, and there's an opener. You know, with the obstacle, you've got to understand there will always be something between you and what God has for you. You've got to understand that. There will always be something between you and what God has for you. So I'm trying to get you to not give up too easily. I think sometimes we think when we run up against something, when we run up against an obstacle, we might think it's a dead end, when really it's a door. When really there's a way to move through this thing. I think too many times Christians think that if it's not easy, then it's not blessed. But you got to understand sometimes you got to keep knocking. Sometimes you got to keep asking. Sometimes you got to keep seeking. You got to keep calling. You got to keep pressing. You got to keep pushing. Sometimes you got to fast. Sometimes you got to just not give up. It's as simple as that. You got to press through the crowd. You got to shout all the more. You got to climb a tree. You got to do something. But don't stop just because it seems to be a dead end. Many times we run from challenges when God's saying, run through the challenge. Yeah, it's an obstacle, but I'm going to teach you resilience. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to teach you how to prophesy. I'm going to show you how to be led by the Spirit. I pray you are strong in your faith. And the more you bash through obstacles, the more you might begin to figure out when you come up against an obstacle that, hey, this might be a door, though. Sometimes it's not. When you figure out, all right, I'll move on. But you better be sure I'm going to knock to make sure, is this something that God wants to bring me through? Because he brought me to. So he'll bring me through. Yeah, there will be obstacles, but it's amazing how many times obstacles really are opportunities. I think it was Henry Ford that says problems are opportunities in disguise. It's amazing how many times an obstacle will create innovation or bring a solution or engage your creativity. You know, like a lot of people want to live creative and adventurous lives. That doesn't exist without an obstacle. Creativity is to get around or to move through. And and make no mistake, God will bring you up some difficult things to show you who he is and to show you who you are. I think God can work these things for you. Obstacles, many times, are really just opportunities. Problems that God's looking to teach you perseverance through. And then, I think if, if, it, if God brings you to something, a door where he asks you to knock, I think it infers that on the other side, there's going to be an opener. Someone with the ability to bring you through. And I believe that God always places someone on the other side of what you're up against. Sometimes it's God himself. Through supernatural means, that opens a door that only he he could open. But other times, God uses people. But it's on you. It's on you to pray, to pursue, and and to persevere. And I believe when you start doing that, God will send you the help. Come on, he'll answer the call. He'll open the door. But just don't give up too soon. I want to encourage you today. This is how God works. This is how life works. Ask, seek, knock. Pray, pursue, and persist. Escalate your actions. 
in approach to God and do not give up. And watch how much more your heavenly father has in store for you. Come on, how many believe that God has more ahead? He has good things ahead. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.